You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat Podcast, where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to Break a Bat, where baseball meets Broadway. I'm your host, Sal Malafrante, coming at you for the Broadway Podcast Network. Uh, so a few months ago, you may recall a certain lifeline that contributed to Christina Alabato's seventh inning stretch. That lifeline just so happened to be her husband and fellow Broadway performer, Mr. Bob Lindsay. Bob himself has authored a phenomenal career here on the Broadway over a career that now spans more than a decade. His credits include South Pacific, Tuck Everlasting, and he's currently a cast member of Tina, the Tina Turner musical, which just announced it'll be returning to Broadway this October over at the Lunfontaine Theater. Uh, on screen, you may recognize him from Sex and the City 2, Orange is the New Black, and the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And in addition to everything our special guest has accomplished on stage and screen, uh, he's also a tremendous Philadelphia Phillies fan, having grown up in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. So I'm really excited to talk some baseball with him and a little more about his return to the stage this October. Uh, with that being said, I ask you all to please turn your attention to home plate, just beyond the marquee, now batting Bob Lindsay. Bob, welcome, my man. What's up, Al? I need my, um, my walk-up music. Oh, what I would mean, you be going with tonight? Uh, well, for the, like, you know, my, I mean, you know, said I'm a Phillies fan. I, I, the Chase Utley cashmere, uh, uh, Led Zeppelin, uh, hook is pretty good. It's kind of hard to top that. Oh, um, dude, that's the so, best, right? It's, yes, a, it's a pretty sick one. No, I like, I, I also like, I think it's Elvis Andrews who's doing Baby Shark or something. Was that last year, <laughs> two years ago? That's a good yeah. one, too. I don't have any kids, but that, that's, that one uh, connected with me too, but I'll go with cashmere for now. Oh, you can't, you can't top the classic rock. That's like when Teixeira used to use, I want to rock from rock of ages as his walk up. It just said such an epic tone. I love that. Yeah. 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 Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure, bro. I tried to schedule this around the Phillies game tonight. I didn't want you missing any of the action. What do you think of the team so far this year, man? Uh, they're about where I thought they'd be, you know, um, some of our star players have played like star players, which has been nice. Uh, I'm, I just saw Bryce is going on the, the injured list. So we've had a couple injuries. Uh, JT's been on the, on the injured list. But uh, JT and Bryce and um, Zach Wheeler's been awesome. So the top of the lineup, the top, of, the top players have been pretty good. But We'll see as we sort of get into the dog days. But, uh, you know, they're hanging around. It's a weird division for sure, but uh, pretty good. It's a tough division. I'm surprised that so many teams like the Nationals and the Braves have just done pretty much nothing. They're not even 500. And as we, you know, as we record this episode, the Phillies aren't either. I am. I will say this. You mentioned Wheeler. He's been phenomenal. Gene Segura has been a uh, a real bright spot for me. Did it? Did you catch uh, the little squabble he got into with uh, Girardi a couple weeks ago? Uh no, what happened? I don't. I didn't catch it. Yeah, so basically, I guess it was the second day in a row there was a little miscue out in the field, and Girardi's old school, and he just flat yeah. out called him out on it. And I don't know if you've if you've grown accustomed to this yet. I had ten years of Joe Girardi as the Yankee manager in his press conferences. He gets like very tense and angry. It was pure 
comedy. I don't know if you had a chance to watch it yet, but it's it's worth it if you, if you have a few. I'll minutes. check it out. No, Segura has also been he's been awesome actually. Um, he's been really really good. Uh, Didi has not been as good, but um, we'll see what happens as a, as as we go on here. But dude, I know. Dude, I, I as much as I miss him here in New York, it's just like it's like the constant injuries. I have him on my fantasy baseball team this year, and. Uh, I really, I mean, they, they just keep like delaying his comeback. It's like, it's longer and longer that he's on the IL. And, you know, I, uh, this off season, I wanted the Yankees to bring him back when he was a free agent and Philly ended up retaining him. But I kind of wonder how that deal is going to play out, you know? So he, yeah. I like his heart though. It's, it's it, when, and whenever you see a guy who cares the way he does, it's kind of a dying breed in today's game, you know? Totally. Totally. Now, who were you guys growing up? Uh, well, so I became a Phillies fan pretty naturally. We're, I'm actually originally from Chicago. All my family's from Chicago. Um, but we moved to Philadelphia when I was a kid. We moved in 1993. So if you'll recall, that team, that 93 Phillies team, was basically tailor-made for an eight-year-old boy. Uh, there's so many characters on that squad. Kruk and, you know, and uh, Mitch Williams and Darren Dalton and uh, Lenny Dykstra and... They're just a goofy, a goofy bunch of guys. So you move to a new city. It, it, it was so easy to fall in love with that team, uh, you know, immediately. Um, so I always liked Darren Dalton, um, rest in peace. But uh, he's such a fun guy and just a grind, you know, just an old school grinder and, um, you know, uh, a real team leader. Yeah, oh, the 93 team was fantastic. And you know what? It was right around then when, you know, you had the heart of like that mini Braves dynasty where they won all those division titles uh, up through 2005. And it had been a long stretch between 93 and when the Phillies got back to the postseason in 07. I started watching kind of around, you know, the late 90s. So like the Scott Rowland teams. Right. Kurt Schilling, uh, Bobby Abreu, who ended up playing for the Yankees. Right. Uh, they, they, they always have such phenomenal talent. And guys who it's, you know, you even mentioned a few members of that 93 team, um, who like have Hall of Fame talent. And just like, it's almost like what Mattingly was here with the Yankees. Even though they're not Hall of Famers, they're as beloved as Hall of Famers to those fan bases, you know? Exactly, exactly. Um so, you know, there's been a lot of characters. And obviously then as I got a little older and that that championship team started to, to that core got developed in the mid 2000s, um, you know, I, 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 all those guys obviously have a special place in my heart. Um, I always have been an Utley guy. I just like the way he played. And um, so he was always my he was always my cornerstone on those on those championship teams. Oh, I love Chase Utley. And I love how you said that you'd use his walk-up song. If there, I mean, second base, out of any second baseman that I watched in their peak, not even Robbie Alomar, not even Jeff Kent, who I know won an MVP, but had that like longevity of a six, seven, eight-year run like Chase Utley had, man. It was just so – and to do it naturally, because we had Robinson Cano here, who obviously <laughs> right. was using steroids. So it was like – and J- Chase Utley was just so hard-nosed and everything like that. And I – you know – there's so few guys from like when I was in high school who are like still playing like Brett Gardner is one of the few, he's kind of cut mm-hmm. from that same chase Utley cloth, which I just love. What's great about those kinds of players is he, I think you can appreciate his game in so many ways because he brings, um, he's really an, an intelligent player chase and, and Brett too. Um, 
just to his defensive positioning, his, his the way he uh, stole bases at such an efficient rate, but really picked his spots, the way he worked the count. So he, had, he was really a, th- a thinking man's player. And then it, you combine that with all the hustle and the grit and the um, just wor- workmanlike attitude. Um, so, you know, you, you, there's a little something for everybody. And I, I kind of I love those well, well-rounded players. Now, take me through 2008, because it's kind of interesting. To my understanding, this was right around the time when you were making your Broadway debut with South Pacific. Where were you during that whole 2008 playoff run? Because for me, I love nothing more than looking back at, you know, 09 and what I was doing, who I was with for the different games, even the years that we didn't win the championship, like 2017 and 2019. Such fond memories of like, you know, going out for the games. Does anything stand out about where you were in your life at that point? Well, yeah, I was I was in. So I had moved to New York the beginning of that year. So I was in New York for that whole season. And um, when they actually won, I was, it was at, it was at intermission. Our show was kind of long. And um, I like, you know, you're, you have the phone and you're keep it on backstage and you're just checking it up. And I, and I knew we won at like, as I was walking onto the deck for the start of act two so it was pretty cool. I have actually my favorite memory of that postseason was I was at a diner on 14th Street with a actually one of my buddies from high school who's from Philadelphia. And um, we saw the Dodgers game, the NLCS, the the famous Matt Stairs um, home run. I forget the buck quote, but, you know, deep into the night or whatever. And we were at this diner just freaking out because it was such a great game. But that's the that's probably my favorite memory of that whole postseason run um and now, obviously you, the, the final out but like how much did that pump you up no one minutes before you were going on stage that your team just won a championship how yeah. surreal is that it was great it was great and it what was fun is a bunch of the guys uh, we had you know a fantasy baseball league and a bunch of the guys really like sports and we're from kind of all over so um obviously a lot of yankee fans um but people from all over the country so everyone was you know pretty happy and uh it was great. It was fun. It was it was pretty wild. And, uh, you know, it feels so good. It's so funny. It, you know, it's 12, 13 years ago, but it's, it seems like it was yesterday. Now, I know that you said you moved to Philly around 93. Does the Citizens Bank Park is one of the most beautiful ballpark experiences that I've ever had. How does it compare to the vet in your eyes? You know, for me as a Yankee fan, for example, I don't think that the new stadium will ever hold a candle to the old Yankee stadium just because the character was just so different, you know, at the old place. Um, The vet had a lot of character too, but the new ballpark is just so beautiful and also has its own sort of charm. How did the two, you know, compare in your mind? It's so funny. My, my memories of the vet are that it's, and I think it's because I was younger, but that it was so much more cavernous. Um, and, and, uh, the bank is so just so inviting and like, it's really, uh, a more intimate experience. Um, I love it. I actually, I, I really do love the stadium. Um, but I, you know, I, I can't say I have all the like associations with the vet of like, you know, all the Santa snowballs and, the jail in the basement, you know, I was pretty young. I, I missed out on most of that stuff. So my, uh, my informative years were at, uh, at the family friendly uh, citizens bank park. 
for sure. But it's beautiful. I, I, I do love it. It's a great stadium. It's our, and that was built in 04, which is kind of crazy um, how, you know, how time has flown by. But those stadiums, you know, Camden Yards, that I, I forget the architect's name who sort of did those sort of investing in those sort of retro sort of stadiums, how well they've aged. People still, uh, I think, love them. And they're, they're still great places to watch ball games. Now I hear that you and Christina keep score when you go to the game, whose idea was, was that something that you did or an idea that she kind of brought over to you? Well, you know, she actually, um, she had, had done it with her dad. So she's from Phoenix and they, you know, obviously fell in love with that, uh, that Oh one team. Um, and that's how they really got into baseball. Her dad was always into baseball. So she, when I found out she liked to do that, uh, it was actually when we first started dating, I made her this book with this like scorecard book. And then she also, we like to cross off all the stadiums that we've been to. And so I have this list of all the stadiums and, uh, and then a, a scorecard for uh, each date. And then every time we go to a game now, we, we, we do that. We haven't, we haven't uh, put many games in the book. Uh, we didn't get, obviously didn't do anything last year and we haven't been yet. So we got a two year gap, but hopefully we'll make up for it this summer a little bit. Yeah, man. I think that Phillies are, uh, I mean, they certainly face the Mets all the time, but I think they're headed to Yankee stadium. I want to say in June or July, that's it's coming up at, you know, yeah, one yeah. of these next couple months. We'll have to check it out. That'd be great. That'd be a lot of fun. What's your favorite stadium that you've been to so far? Ooh. That's a good one. I mean, I do love the bank. I, I got to be honest. I actually really like City Field. Uh, I mean, I, I do like Camden. It's a fun place to, to go. Um, man, that's tough. I, I'll go with Camden. We you have some actually, TV credits on there, right? Yeah, I was <laughs> say, we, yeah, yeah. It was probably my favorite, one of my favorite ball game experiences I was doing a play in in Baltimore um, and it was like, it was at the beginning of the season, it was April, but it was cold, man. It was like 45, 40 degrees. And it was the beginning of the year and they weren't good. I think it was the last year of Machado was there and the team just wasn't that good. And, and it was a, just a Tuesday night or something. It was freezing. So it was, nobody was there. It was easy to get a ticket. And we got these tickets on the third base side. Um, They're playing the blue Jays. And we just were right in the camera view of, you know, for uh, the right-handed batters. So once we figured this out, you know, we're just sort of working the camera. You know, you, you have to be subtle though, right? Because you can't, if you do too much, you're going to get caught. They're going to move you. So we were texting, you know, our friends and our family and people who could flip the game on. Um, you know, we could do some stupid little stuff on camera. It was a blast. It was so much fun. I never never done that before also that game uh was where i caught my first and only ball at a game was at that game too uh again not a lot of competition so it helped but i actually did catch it <laughs> legitimately catch it so <laughs> you know how many bucket lists you know include i want to catch a foul ball at a major league game man that is just yeah. i hope you have that up on a shelf somewhere at your place i do it's it's right up there. Yeah, it's actually it's right on the shelf over here. Yeah, oh, I kept it for sure. My dad caught one um we were on the third baseline, but we were at, we were on the front row. So he scooped up a grounder, and he kept he's kept he kept it in his sock drawer. He still has it there. It was probably from it might have been from the '93 team or, or somewhere in the '90s. But yeah, he, it's still there. I, I check on it every once in a while when I go home. 
<laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, like, it's one of those bucket list things for sure. That is so epic. Now, growing up, did you play baseball and do theater at the same time? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I, I played a lot of sports and I, I played baseball. My dad played baseball. My brother played baseball. But it wasn't my favorite sport to play as a kid. I gravitated to basketball. Um, and then, I mean, a, a child of the 90s on the East Coast, everybody was playing soccer. Um, so I, I, I liked it, but I didn't, I fell in love with the game, funny enough, sort of more after I stopped playing it. But uh, yeah, by the time I got to high school, my athletics career, uh, you know, I met a fork in the road and I ended up doing plays instead. I think by my sophomore year, I kind of had to choose. And so I, I started doing the plays all year round. Now, how is that viewed by your boys? Because yeah, obviously, you know, we were fortunate that we grew up in a little bit more of an open-minded culture, but you still hear some stories about people not necessarily uh, accepting someone who loves sports and the arts. And, you know, all the guys that used to play on the field with, like, you know, kind of question what you were doing or how did they feel about you? Sure, you know, sure. <laughs> I remember I called I called the my uh, soccer coach at school, I think, before my sophomore year. And I said, hey, coach, just want you to know uh, – I'm not, I'm not going to be coming in for, for tryouts for, for, you know, the fall season. I'm going to, I think I'm going to stop playing soccer. I'm going to do the plays now. And he was like, um, uh, good luck with that click. <laughs> and that was that. But um, my, my buddies were fine. It's funny. This is, this is a tip for all you high school kids if you just sort of own what you want to do and you have a certain confidence about it, you don't have to be cocky about it, but just like kind of trust in your decision. Like people, people, you know, I think respect that or or, will go with that. And it's, you know, you have to have a sense of humor about it for sure. But there's just like, for me, it was a certain kind of quiet confidence of like, this is, this is what I want to do. This is what makes sense to me. Now, did you have an existing skill set, you know, on the stage before you went out there? Were you doing it, you know, a little bit simultaneously as a kid or was it something that you just kind of was there something that made you fall in love with it, you know, before that sophomore year? You know, not really. I was always like a really creative kid and I loved movies and stuff and I would write. I wrote a lot of short stories as a kid. So I always had a creative sort of something inside me. Um, and then my teacher actually in in middle school directed the middle school plays and uh he knew i was into writing and he he had read some of my stuff and he just asked me if i wanted to do it and i sort of did it on a whim i was half interested actually funny enough the it was damn yankees was the first show i did in seventh grade um and uh he um you know he was obviously looking for boys constantly recruiting boys to do the shows and i I was like, I'll, I'll give this a try. I'm not sure if I'll like it, but I did it and I loved it. I kind of haven't looked back since. That is so cool. Now you mentioned that quiet confidence. I just think that's so important, both with sports and, and with theater, obviously. Um, wh what made you decide that you wanted to do this professionally beyond high school? Because obviously you've authored a phenomenal career. I mentioned some of your credits. Was there like sort of a moment or a particular performance on stage that, that stands out where you're like, you know what? I could really make a go of this thing. I think it was probably uh, after the, the, you know, I did damn Yankees and I, you sort of get 
the little bug bit by the bug and you're enjoying it. And then I went back the next year and I did it again. And then I think probably by my, the end of my freshman year, I was just like, I think this is what I'm going to do. Um, and it's funny. I went to a, just a public high school and, um, I was the same year as a, a previous guest of your show, actually, uh, Christy Altamar, who was Anastasia and Anastasia, and she's done some other Broadway shows. So we grew up together. And um, I also think having another person that you're another peer that's as sort of uh, goal oriented as you were and focused sort of helped. And we did we did shows together all throughout high school and kind of always had the same goals. So I think having her sort of as a partner in crime definitely also helps, uh, you know, you know, uh, just constantly reminding me of, you know, pushing forward and trying things. And um, it was good to have have her uh, to bounce ideas off of and stuff. Right. You could bring out the best in each other, especially, you know, obviously every cast is going to have some superior talent from the rest of your classmates. And when you have the ability to stand out and then, you know, push each other on top of that, I just think that that's so important in your development. It probably puts you in a much stronger position than most of the, you know, the college recruits that a lot of these big theater schools were looking at and big theater programs. So I can only imagine how beneficial that was for you, you know, going into college. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, um, when you look back at your Broadway debut, I said more than a decade of experience, you, you, found success pretty early, you know, compared to, you know, when you graduated high school and whatnot, does it feel like you've been doing this for as long as you have? That's a great question. And it's funny. I think I've been reflecting on, I think a lot of us have probably been reflecting on that with COVID and just this whole idea of time in general. Um, I don't know, man. It, it feels like yesterday time goes by so fast. Um, And I still feel what I do know and what uh, I think I feel makes me feel best about some of my life choices, I guess, is that um, I still feel the same way I did when I was, you know, 22 years old. So um, I, I kind of hold on to that anchor. Of course, there's challenges along the way, um, as there are with any career, but I still genuinely have a great time doing doing what I do. And um, so it's fun to look back and uh, it's even more fun to sort of just be in the present moment and still loving what I am doing as much as I did then. Now, there's been the recent announcement that Tina's coming back in October. Do you have any rust on you, Bob? Do you feel like you got to shake that off? What are you doing to get yourself ready to go? I don't know. We'll see, man. We'll see. Uh, I'll let you know when I get back in there. Um I don't know. I, I, I think it'll, I think when you do these shows, especially if you do something for long enough, that it's in your brain somewhere. I don't know where it is. It's filed away somewhere in the back of there and I'll find it. It'll, I'll dust it off. Maybe it'll take a day or two or a couple of weeks. Um, and uh, I, I think I'm confident I'll find it for some of my other castmates in this particular show. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it, the women in my company carry a lot of the physical energy of the show. It's obviously it's about Tina Turner. And when I think of Tina Turner, I think of Tina and the Iquettes 
dancing behind her. And so they're the ones that are bringing the heat every night and all the physical energy and stamina, how they're going to do it. I don't know. Um, but, uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll find it as well. Now, when you have an ensemble role, are you the type that creates, you know, a whole universe for their characters and like, you know, some sort of a backstory that you try to bring with you onto the stage every night? That's funny. Yeah, for sure. Or Well, it, de- it depends. I, I do. I do. It's kind of fun to intellectualize stuff like that. And then I also, it's fun, really fun to let it go. And then maybe you find that one thing that you sort of click into especially when you're playing a couple different characters. Um, but there can be, you know, you can hang on to whether it's a costume piece or maybe it's a line or, you know, if you have a dialect, like one little phrase or something that sort of just clicks, clicks you in. And then um, you just sort of, you know, you're, you're there. So it's not like I'm constantly running through my backstories in my brain, as opposed to just finding that one thing that really, you know, can lock you in. And, uh, and, and just, you know, then you're just there on the deck and you're not thinking about anything else other than just, you know, you and me having a conversation. Now, when do rehearsals start? I'm not entirely sure yet, actually. Um, I, I'm not sure. I've heard of some other shows that have, have scheduled, uh, three weeks. So I don't know if we're going to do two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, but, um, Typically in a run, I mean, when you mount a new show, you'll do four weeks in a studio and then two weeks in the theater. I don't think we're going to get that full process, but um, um, I imagine we'll probably rehearse most of September and then uh, we'll be back. uh, uh, I think it's Friday, October 8th is our first show. Damn, man. It's been just such a long time coming. I, I, I can't even imagine how stoked you are. Do you, do you feel like it's going to be like un, probably unlike any other show you've ever done, right? As far as the anticipation and the excitement. Am I wrong in guessing that? Oh, oh of course. And and this show, too, this one I'm in right now, I couldn't think of a better show for something like this because w- there really are some parts where they, you know, I mean, there are it's about a rock and roll you know, icon, right? So there definitely are parts when we crank it up and we blow the roof off the thing. And that first night I couldn't think, you know, you know, you feel that energy every night. And then, you know, to have the company and the people in the audience sort of deprived of that for a year and a half or whatever, um, it's going to be pretty special. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Oh man. I can't wait to see it myself. That's one of the few shows that I didn't get to catch uh, you know, even before the pandemic hit, you know, if COVID's taught me anything, if you have an idea in your head, if you want to do something, you just have to do it because you might not ever have the chance that, you know, for another year and a half, you know, kind of like this, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's kind of like me with some of the ballparks I want to get to. If you had to pick one stadium, you're tr- if you could pick any that you haven't been to yet and you could go, you know, before you get back on stage this October, which one are you trying to go to this? Oh, year? good question. Good question. Where haven't I been that I really want to go? You know, I haven't done. It's so funny. I I had sort of mapped this out before. Um, A lot of the stadiums west of Chicago, I haven't done. You know, I'd like to do Denver. I've never been to Denver, the city. Um, So I'd check out Coors. Um, That that's that that jumps to mind. That'd be a fun trip. But there's there's so many. There's so many. I've been to about half. And I really do want to see all of them. 
Dude, that is so impressive. I, I'm going to mention something to you about Coors Field. I haven't even been to that many stadiums myself, including the old Yankee Stadium and then Shea Stadium. Maybe I've been to 10 total, but Coors was one of them. There's something interesting about when you're drinking a beer in that ballpark. You know, they talk about the home runs flying out of there just because of the altitude and everything. The beer hits you a little bit different when you're drinking a beer in Coors Field. I swear, man. I was like, you know, of course I got, you know, I think it was, uh, like they called the rock pile out there, you know, like for the Colorado right. Rockies, it's, you know, the cheap seats on the outfield and you're, you're, you have a little bit of elevation and, and you feel it, man, when you're sitting out there and it only takes one drink, it, it's just a whole different experience. So I, I loved Coors Field. If there's one you're trying to get to, it's not a super long flight. Tickets probably cheap enough because the team isn't very good right now, but right. you could go, go there and watch them face, you know, the Marlins or the Pirates and still have a good time, no matter who they're facing. That's a great ballpark, great ambiance. Oh, great. Yeah, no, I'll check it out for sure. I love that one. Now, um, now let me ask you this. All, all injuries aside right now, and you know we're recording about a week in advance uh, for the audience. If there's one thing about this year's Phillies team that you'd like to change or an acquisition that you'd like to make, an area of need, what would it be You know, to get you over the hump and maybe into the postseason? Well, we need a couple things. Uh, I'd like... I'd like to upgrade the bullpen a little bit. I love, man, I, I would love, I, I love for um, Alec Bohm, our, our, uh, our young uh, corner infielder. He's had a really rough go. I'd like to see him click in a little bit um, because I think we, you know, not only for this year, but sort of this, the, the success of the team down the road, um, you know, we have invested a, a, a bit of money, you know, into the long-term future of our team. So um, whether it be him or someone else coming up in the farm, like we need one, we need another foundational homegrown piece. So actually that probably would be my, you know, I'd love to see him, you know, I don't know, hit, uh, have a 350 on base and slug 550 or something, you know, just crushing it. And uh, that would that would be really good. Overall, what do you think of Hoskins? Is he what you thought he would be? Did you think he was going to be a little bit better than how he's performed? Uh, maybe a little bit. You know, it's hard. You know, it's funny when you as people are coming up, and you know, he didn't have the highest of expectations. So, it's some in some respect, it sort of is like found money. Um, but he's been okay this year he's been okay he's been solid um you know i think uh, i think he can play better but i don't think he's been a disaster and i i think um you know he seems like a good guy and a good good clubhouse guy a good good person to have on the team for sure it's sort of a similar sentiment with bryce like he's been He's been fine. The difference between him and Hoskins is obviously Harper's got that big contract. When they gave him that big contract in your head, did you fancy like we are going to win three championships over like the next 10 years? Did you have like, did you have unrealistic expectations of what it would be as far as him coming here and, you know, the success that the team would have? I don't know. You know, it's so funny. The contract is so long, so it's hard to have, it's hard to, these con these new contracts are so, you know, decade plus, it's hard to know what the game will even look like, you know, in 2030 or whatever. Um, I actually thought I wasn't, I'll say this. I, 
I was ex- I wasn't expecting the MVP year that he had necessarily. Like I, I like what he's done so far this year is sort of what I would had hoped for, which is a really good All Star level player. And if he never ascended to the heights of the MVP year, you know, some ten win player, that's that's okay. He can still be the contract can still be justified, you know, at a a B B plus level, which seems ridiculous to say when you look at the numbers. But you know, these contracts, you know, keep going up. So you know, the, the AAV of of some other these other guys, like I, I think he will, and I think he'll age pretty well as long as he. It, um, his skill set will age well. I'll say that. Um, whether he can stay on the field is another question, but he's been pretty pretty reasonable. I feel similar about our big contract, except I sort of uh, consider it an albatross of sorts with John Carlos Stanton. The difference being, I don't think he'll age well, and we've sort of seen that throughout the whole length of this contract. Just the the idea of paying for someone for that long and that kind of money. It really is a risk, but unfortunately, it's just it's kind of standard practice these days. Right. You know? it, it it is. And I think you have to think of it too, though. You're bar you're borrowing future money for now. So, you know, you're paying a tax, a little bit of a tax in the future for that present performance. And that's obviously you get into that like the Pujols contract, where from the jump, it's no good. <laughs> And that's when you're in trouble. But as long as those first couple, you know, you're p- uh, paying up front those first couple of years and you, you can extract most of that. Value. Obviously, you're, you're going to you're counting on that. But I can justify some of it, even though when they're 40 years old, that you're going to be paying them 30 million dollars, which seems ridiculous. But who, who knows, you know. Uh, you know, the, uh, the MVP might be getting $55 million by then, or, or it'll, I don't know, it'll go down because we of COVID-19, like it's impossible to know. Um, but it is, it is weird to, to think of an athlete's career that far down the road. I mean, that's like with A-Rod when it was a little bit different from the pool situation, but kind of similar in some ways. Cause he was, I believe 32 and they gave him the second 10 year contract. It's like he had that ability to opt out. Now here's the thing. There was a ton of postseason failure with him, but I think for a lot of Yankee fans, um, because he had that one championship in 2009 where he very much helped carry the team. He was definitely the best offensive player in that postseason. It's sort of, you know, by the time, you know, 2012, 20, I shouldn't say 2012 or 2013. Those were horrible examples. But by the time 2015, 2016 came around, even though he was half the player he was and no longer fighting a steroid suspension, which is just why I didn't want to use 2013 as an example. You almost you almost think back on it mostly positively, despite the off the field stuff. It's almost like that one championship can make everything go away, especially when there's a little bit of a drought. I mean, uh, at that time, the Yankees had a nine year drought right now. The Phillies have, I guess, a 13 year drought. Um, I think that that like, if you, as long as you win, the fans will remember you in a positive way. And that's the thing with pool holes. The angels only made one postseason. It got swept in that division series. So it's completely different. Right. No, flags fly forever. And that, you know, that is the that is the name of the game. And it's, you know, I I always remind myself of that because I like to be sort of efficiency minded and 
like good finding great value and all that. But the name of the game is to win, to win the whole thing. And that's why we're all here. Um, and so if, if you got a shot, if you have a real shot, um, you gotta, you have to go for it. I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, I certainly hope that the Yankees and Phillies accomplish a lot this year. And Bob, you yourself have accomplished quite a bit, you know, on stage and on screen, but now it's about to get a little tough. We do a segment here called Fastball Derby. I want you to picture yourself in the batter's box. Um, the face of our brand and fastest throwing man ever, Araldus Chapman, is on the mound throwing 105 miles an hour. Uh, you got to think quick, man. I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. How does that sound? All right. Let's do it. Favorite New York City meal? Uh, Nathan's. New York slice or Philly cheesesteak? Cheesesteak. Greatest baseball game you've ever been to? Uh, I went to, uh, uh, in 2010, it was uh, against the Braves. It was uh, to clinch, I think it was to clinch the division. It was a total playoff atmosphere. They had the rally tiles and everything. It, it was at, at Citizens Bank. It was the loudest I'd ever seen seen it there. It was fun. And this is a difficult question for a few different reasons. And if you want to elaborate on why you think yes or no, um, would you put Kurt Schilling in the Hall of Fame? No. The off-the-field stuff? Or- Hall of very good. Okay, so just based on performance, not good enough. I'd have to look at the numbers again, but it's the hall of fame is a tr- this tricky balance of greatness and longevity. And I don't want to over reward longevity. I don't know. I'd have to look at the numbers, but that's my, impre- my initial impression. I'm not a big, like, I know there's the sort of morality clause that everyone likes to talk about. Um, but that wouldn't drive my decision for Kurt. But again, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but. I'm going to go no. Yeah, I I mean, for me personally, I don't necessarily think about the morality clause too much because Ty Cobb's in the Hall of Fame, obviously. Sure. Um, It's a tricky line to to walk, I guess, especially with a lot of the future candidates. You're going to see shorter and shorter careers. Now guys are retiring after 12, 13, 14 years rather than 18, 19, 20. So you wonder what the eventual playing field is going to look like. And, you know, th- just this past year, we didn't have anybody get in. And I feel like you might start to see that more often where you wonder if voters start to panic push a button, you know, for a guy to get in. So Sure, yeah. I mean, and also just the game is evolving, just the sort of – classic benchmarks are they're they're gonna be they're changing and you know what people are after i mean that's but it's been that way for the last you know decade plus i feel like especially uh pitchers starting you know starting the bar for starting pitchers is it's tough to clear dude no one's ever going to win 300 games again cc won his 250th a few years ago i feel like Maybe Kershaw and Verlander, if they stick around long enough, could get to that benchmark, but 300's extinct, I think. Yeah. All right, now how about this one? That was, I, that, I, I definitely uh, swung and missed at that pitch. That was a long, fast game, whatever <laughs> we're doing here. That was, <laughs> I, I swung out of my shoes. The, my bat is in the stands right now, I think. Dude, there's no rules in fastball derby, man. It's all good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, I know you're not a Yankee fan, but if you had to pick, Team Jeter or Team A-Rod? 
Uh, you're the wrong, I'm the wrong guy to ask. I'm, I'm not a big Jeter guy. I know that's probably blasphemy, but I, I, um, I'll go team A-Rod, just pure talent, higher, higher ceiling. Okay. So it's the, the Jeter thing. And my buddy, Chris Katzman brings this up to me all the time. He is a Mets fan, but he doesn't like him because of the whole fact that Jeter was so private and he put on that act of wanting to be guarded um, and also playing in New York, he probably got a lot more credit than my friend Chris Katzman thought he deserved. I personally am a Yankee fan. I love Derek Jeter. Is it is it the off the field stuff or was it the on the field stuff? No, my thing with Jeter, right? Obviously, he's he's amazing and he's totally worthy of all his accolades. My my slight disconnect is that I think people he's revered like he's Michael Jordan when he's. Uh, you know, not quite that level of a just on-field talent. I understand the story is as is in a way as good as Jordan's, but is he was he the best like best player just on the field? I would say no. So some that I think that I have tension with that disconnect of like he's a very 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 good Hall of Fame caliber talent. But is he Michael Jordan good at baseball? No. And I agree with you. And that, that's kind of why I get frustrated with uh, even with the credit that Aaron Judge gets. Just, I mean, this is a guy who can't stay on the field, just be, but you know, because he's playing in New York, he gets all this extra attention, all this extra credibility. I don't know if you were watching the Sunday night baseball game last year when A-Rod was in the booth and A-Rod, uh, Aaron Judge hit a home run in like the eighth inning to give the Yankees a lead. And A-Rod goes, Tiger Woods, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Aaron Judge. I'm like, okay, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like that's the New York homerism right there. It all yeah. gets magnified. A-Rod a- says, says some funny things in the booth. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) To say the least. All right. How about this? Who is your favorite Muppet? My favorite Muppet? Snuffleupagus. You know what? That's back-to-back weeks where we've had someone answer with Snuffleupagus. Both you and Virginia Williams answered that way. Nick Swisher answered that way a few months ago. Snuffy's a popular choice lately. I mean, he's so sweet. He really is. Now, how about this one? And this is always a controversial topic. America's band, the Beach Boys or the Eagles? Oh, oh, uh, uh. America's band, I guess the Eagles. Beach Boys are too uh, West Coast specific. Eagles sort of can, they can claim the heartland and a little bit of East Coast. I feel like they're more broad, their style is more broad ranging. Very fair point. Fact about Bob Lindsay that would surprise people the most. Oh man, um, I I really you know the, the thing that I nerd out even more than baseball is wine. I love wine. In a in a I mean I love to drink wine. Obviously, who doesn't? But in an actually like in nerdy way, like I like to I like study it. Interesting. Smollier of sorts. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Maybe in another life. (laughs) All right. Now here's a fun one. This is a new question to fastball derby. What's a question you'd like our next guest to answer without knowing who it is? Oh, Ooh. Um, uh, 
What do you think of Bob Lindsay? That's that, that's a that's a great question. We'll we'll, All right. we'll, we'll see what they think. Okay, that sounds good to me. <laughs> proudest moment of your career? Uh, proudest moment of my career. I think opening Tuck Everlasting. Um, you know, it's definitely uh, in these Broadway careers. I think having the chance to originate and build something sort of from the ground up is um, an opportunity that. I mean, none of these opportunities come along much, but to be able to originate a role um, is is a pretty special thing. And there's been many, many talented artists uh, that haven't had the chance to do that. So that that for sure. Actor or actress you learn the most from? Ooh. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to go with Mark Rylance, my favorite sort of uh, some of my favorite theater going experiences have been watching him. He is just uh, is it's so hard to describe. He is such a force, yet he does it with such like deafness and delicacy. Um, And, you know, he just completely gets lost up there and you just can't not watch it. He's he's just the perfect blend of like craftsmen and just artistry. Love that answer. Now uh, we use this one to wrap every fastball derby. What's the best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? Uh, In having a career in the arts, uh, save your money. That was from a voice teacher of mine when I first moved to the city. And uh, it's, it's good advice. It's good advice. Certainly the truth, man. Whether you're in the arts or a podcaster or in, in any medium, it certainly comes in hand, uh, especially in the crazy times we're living in. So that is sound advice to uh, all the folks listening at home. <laughs> For sure. Um, you can have, you know, and the beauty of saving your money is you can still have fun and save your money at the same time. Damn right. Absolutely, Bob. And uh, man, this was such a great time, bro. I got to tell you, I think we really have to. I, I joked about it when Christina came on. We got to have you on as like a baseball correspondent or something for the. Broadway I love that. Road. That would be right? that'd be great. Oh yeah, we should check in at the All Star break. We should check in at the end of the year. Um, we got playoffs. You know, maybe we'll do some on site stuff now. I haven't been to a game yet this year, but I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm so I'm so happy that it's back and in, in our lives and. Um, it's just such a, it's such a gift to have it. And, you know, um, you you feel like you take it for granted when they, when they take it away from you, you know, and now that it's back, it's definitely, um, something to, to love. And I'm glad you're, uh, I'm glad you're doing this and, and I'd love to be back. Thanks bro. This was such a blast, man. And, uh, for all the folks at home who may want to connect with you on social media, where's the best place for them to find you? Yeah, you can check me out on Instagram at uh, it's just Bob dot Um And I'm on there. Probably that's probably where you can find me the most. And then uh, honestly, if you want to see me on stage, Tina, the Tina Turner musical will be back live at full capacity uh, on October 8th. And I'm pretty sure tickets are now on sale. So um, and we'll, when we come back, we're I think we do seven shows the first week and then we're after that, we are eight shows a week, full bore. Um, you know, Broadway is 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 back, and uh, we'd love to have you. Now, Bob, I'm down to come see you under one condition. It's not going to be until 
November because in the in the back of my mind, I'm hoping for that Yankees Phillies World Series that'll run through, you know, like right th- right past Halloween, sometime after Halloween. Count me in to come. How does that sound? Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll we'll I'd love a little 09 rematch. And uh we'll see um see if the outcome will be a little bit different this time. <laughs> it very well may be. And uh dude, this was such a absolute blast. Thank you so much again for joining us. My pleasure, Al. Have a good one. You too. And uh, to all the folks at home, thank you so much for listening to Break a Bat. Be sure to subscribe and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. This is Al Malafrante signing off for the Broadway Podcast Network. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.